John Bloom here, and you're listening to the Sun's Solar Panel, which is much more informative and entertaining than listening to my solar panels, but not nearly as environmentally friendly. Hello, and welcome into another edition of the Sun Solar Panel. I am your host, Greg Esposito. Well, I'm your part-time host. Uh, Tim Tompkins isn't here. I, along with me, as always, is Dave King. And since Tim's not here, we're not doing the fancy, you know, Pod Save America uh, kind of open here. We're just doing oh, it the old-fashioned way. So, 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 Dave, how are you today, man? I like how the old-fashioned open is just Greg doing all the talking. Well, I mean, that's the way everybody <laughs> prefers it. I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's exactly. the way any open should be is aspo just talking i mean that's that's the perfect way dave how you been uh, yeah oh i'm doing great we took uh last weekend off i uh turned 53 years old i know that's probably twice as old as as uh, most of the listeners on this right now and uh but that's okay i'm okay being the og of sun's twitter i didn't and, realize uh, sun's blogging i i honestly i i give you a hard time about being old i didn't realize you were that old so I, I always assumed late forties. So, uh, so Dave, well, thank you, you. You wear fifty three. You well, assume no, not even a day over fifty two is what you assume. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I, I thought I thought at least fifty nine. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a day over fifty nine. Hey, what the hell? Well, we got we got a, a surprisingly a lot to talk about, even though. Uh, it's the it, off season. It, yeah, yeah it's, it's a weird off season too because we don't even know when the draft officially will be or or uh, yeah. free agency, because it sounds like they might push it back. But th- there was a decent amount to talk about. Uh, Dave, why don't you uh, kind of run down a little bit of what we're going to discuss in this episode? Absolutely. Today, um, Espo and I, we've got three big sections of the podcast. We are sorry to miss Tim. He's off taking a hike, and I'm probably jealous uh, right now, but you know what? I love talking Suns basketball, so I'm all good. Uh, today's headlines, uh, we're going to go over the what you know what's made the headlines in the past week, including notes on our former two-time Steve Nash, um, little good and bad things that Robert Sarver has done as the Suns owner, which always seem to happen in offseason, and uh, Devin Booker being spotted in a interesting vacation place um and other little headlines as well today's big debate is can you win a title anymore with a seven foot player in your lineup uh that's somehow a debate uh people are being discriminated against by their height we'll see if that's actually true and then finally we've got a lot of q a with our flaming ballers as well as twitter followers and and folks like that um, we've also, of course, got the chat going in the YouTube right now, and we'll be uh, interacting and t- taking questions as well from that. So oh, we're, we we're going to reach we're going to reach deep in the flaming baller sack to uh, pull out some questions for you. Hey, this you know, week. anytime you got to reach deep in the ball sack, you do it. Yeah, hey, especially in the off season, sometimes you just especially when you it. get old because old men don't even know <laughs> that they're being looked at every once in a while. We just reach. Yeah. Anyway, well, you got to reach deep because they hang low when you're 53. I mean, that's what we're saying. Anyways, before we uh, go completely hey, you know off what? the rails, it's all about low hanging fruit. <laughs> let's let's get into our first topic. As uh, I'm not even going to touch that uh, for oh, good reason. Oh, hey, hey now. now. 
uh, for <laughs> Steve Nash, two-time MVP for the Phoenix Suns, uh, an all-time great, some would argue the greatest Phoenix Sun of all time, uh, is now the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets, signing a four-year deal on Thursday. And this came out of left field for most people. I know I was personally uh, taken aback when it was announced uh, just because Steve hadn't really seemed to be all that interested in being a head coach, at least nothing expressed publicly. But Sean Marks, his former teammate, is the GM there. Uh, he has a relationship with Kevin Durant, having uh, kind of coached him as a special assistant mm -hmm. with the Golden State Warriors. So, Dave, what was your biggest uh, takeaway when you heard Steve Nash was becoming the Nets head coach? Oh, yeah. My biggest takeaway is, really? He wants to coach? Uh, so definitely he had been, at uh, at most, he was a general manager slash consultant for Team Canada. Never any uh, full-time on-court on coaching. And uh, had also been a consultant with Golden State Warriors on shooting, uh, but had not been a bench guy. Had never put on a suit and, and sat on the bench in any capacity. So this will be interesting. Uh, but the Nets have done this before uh, they hired Jason Kidd, a former um, all-time Suns point guard, and with no coaching experience, put him on a sideline, and that went really well for them. So I'm hoping, <laughs> Steve Nash, it goes better for him. Look, Steve, it, it, it's a question of whether you think a head coach, it's more important that a head coach has relationships with the players, with the front office, with people as human beings, or if you think it's more important that the head coach is great with X's and O's because you've got a lot of in-game decisions to make, time, when to call timeouts, when not to, uh, whether you really want to be like Mike D'Antoni and in ignore your concussed player who's collapsing in front of you rather than calling timeout for anybody who watched the Rockets game uh, last night. I couldn't believe it. Daniel, uh, Daniel House was kind of wandering around for at least uh, two possessions before they forced a timeout because he literally went to his knees. So uh, that was a big digression. Um, <laughs> do you want to be the kind of coach is all about relationships or do you want to be the kind of coach? Do you like a kind of coach that is all about X's and O's? You have to be a little bit of both, don't you, to succeed, Greg? Yeah, I I was I was surprised by this move because I always kind of thought if Nash was going to get involved, it would be running a front office, maybe a president of basketball operations kind of uh, kind of position where he could oversee relationships and uh, kind of build a team, but not have to be involved in the day to day. We all know how important uh, family is to Steve, and, and that's why he wanted to move or you know, when he left the Suns, he had basically requested to be traded to a, a California team so he could be near his family. Uh, so that that surprised me. But, uh, you know, I think Steve can succeed in this kind of a position. Because I definitely of what think he can succeed. Uh, and, and you know what? I feel like he is the least likely to guy guy to go out not on his terms. Um, yeah. So if it doesn't work, it'll be. He'll probably be one of the earliest ones to figure that out and quietly walk away. Um, could he be like a Steve Kerr? Oh, yeah, for sure. He could be like a Steve Kerr. We don't know anything, though. We don't know that he could be like no. a Steve Kerr, but that that would be the ideal, right? The ideal would be that he can step right off the street 
and coach and do a good job. Um, the most likely outcome is that he really needs a lot of help for a while. Now the Suns have tried uh, to bring in relationship first coaches who didn't know had never coached on a sideline before. We all know how it went for Lindsey Hunter and Earl Watson, right? Well, let's be fair. Lindsey Hunter wasn't a relationship first. <laughs> yeah, the only true. relationship okay. that mattered for Lindsey Hunter was he was boys with uh, Lance Blanks. That was the relationship that mattered for Lindsey Hunter. Otherwise, that guy uh, was good at burning bridges, uh, but not relationship. Earl, Earl Watson, for sure, was a, a relationship first guy. But the problem was he didn't have a roster that warranted that. I he didn't think the have the coaching have, chops. Well, I think the Nets have the roster that warrants True. going with more of a relationship coach. KD, Kyrie, those are two big personalities, and you need a guy that can help manage those personalities as much as anything. Uh, and you Nash know, I'd probably smart. say. Sorry to interrupt you, Greg. I was. I'm just gonna say Nash is smart. He'll rely yeah. on on Jacques Vaughn. He'll build a coaching staff that that he can rely on to fill in for the deficiencies that he may have as he's learning it. And quite frankly, uh, the the one thing he has to just not do is throw a cup of ice on the court, thinking he's uh, smarter than everybody, and he's already outdone Jason Kidd as the head coach of the Nets. So uh, that's a uh, that that that's the biggest hurdle for him one one thing when it comes to this whole uh, this whole signing that that i want to briefly touch on is the controversy that was in part sparked by twitter and in part sparked by stephen a smith that tried to look at this as a a racial issue and i understand we're in a time where uh, we're in a time where this is a topic that is very much at the forefront of everybody's mind, uh, and rightfully so. Uh, we sh- we should be looking at, at every aspect, but I do not feel like this was a case of uh, of racial uh, white privilege <clears throat> like Stephen A. Smith tried no. to claim. What this is, is this is a matter of the NBA has a system of guys get to cut the line when they were a great player. And people assume yeah. that great players will become great coaches. Magic Johnson did the same exact thing when he became Lakers coach. He had no coaching experience. Uh, I mean, and hopefully it worked out better for <laughs> Jason Kidd. Yeah, Jason Derek Fisher. Kidd. Yeah, these are. It's not. It's not. It's mostly actually most common that people with zero coaching experience getting a head coaching job is um, a black guy. But so it's it, that particular part is not racist, although. I will say um, the only the only truth to this is that people hire who they're comfortable with. Yes. And it is more likely that a front office is manned by a uh, white guy. And it is more likely that the ownership almost exclusively that the ownership is also of the white but, race. But I so think that's if the you, bigger if you're problem. Doing that, yeah. yeah, that's the bigger problem. Not. Not that Nash jumped the line. It's you're, you. You hire people that you're very comfortable with, uh, and I, I, you know, on that end, we're going to get into a little bit of a Robert Sarver section here, but I, I'll jump really quickly uh, to this. Robert Sarver has hired Lance Blanks as a GM, and now he's hired James Jones as a GM, and he's gone through several black head coaches, including Alvin Gentry. Lindsey Hunter and Earl Watson, who actually had no business coaching, but um, they actually, you know, uh, I think it was Earl Watson that, yeah, I know it was Earl Watson that was Robert Sarver's choice. And 
but he also signed off on the Lindsey Hunter part. Um, and now you've got Monty Williams and James Jones. And so if anyone's going to be uh, a diversity um, independent or whatever you want to call it, I hate the color uh, blind part because color exists. And, and for us to pretend that color doesn't exist is worse as is, is another kind of um, uh not racism, but you know, whatever nice, nicer version of that is. Um, <clears throat> and Robert Sarver actually has, has gone out of his way to make sure that that has nothing to do with it in, in the negative sense. So I got to give him credit for that. Yeah. If, if you want, uh, obviously Dave and I are, are not the, the bastion of people that should be talking about this is probably not even the right word, but if, if you want quality perspectives, uh, from a few African-American gentlemen that could really give you thoughts and go check out what Charles Barkley had to say on this, uh, on inside the NBA the other night, Emmanuel Acho on uh, FS one, they make, they make the case and make it very well. And, and I don't think I'd ever be able to make it uh, as well as they do. Uh, so go check those out. If, if you want a more nuanced uh, look at that, but one thing I'm going to bring up that came up in the, uh, in the chat was Steve Nash not be coming to Phoenix to be a special assistant like he did in Golden State and then uh, becoming the Nets coach. Uh, let's not act like Steve Nash ever uh, spurned the, the Phoenix Suns. From what I know and what I remember from being with the team at the time is what happened is they actually did approach Steve Nash to potentially be a special assistant or come be involved with the team. But what had happened was they had approached him after he had already been in discussions with golden state and had, uh, I don't remember if it was signed or verbally accepted and nobody really knew that he was in discussions with golden state. So by the time that they had approached him about coming to Phoenix, he had already committed, uh, and if there's anything we know about Steve Nash, he's a man of his word in those kind of ways. So, so just so you guys know, that's, that's kind of the backstory on it. And uh, you know, I, anybody, there were some people on Twitter that got all upset that, Oh, well, how could Steve be the Nets coach? He could have been the Suns coach. It's like, you got Monty Williams. You don't right. need Steve Nash coaching this team. And like I said, Nash is in a, is the kind of guy that if you're going to take that chance, you take it when you have two superstars and, and the opportunity to, uh, to compete for a title in the following year, because you assume that if you have a guy that can manage relationships, that's what's important and more than X's and O's, because you can pretty much throw a ball out there with a uh, Levert KD and Kyrie and win games uh, just based on pure talent there. So I just, I, that bothered me on Sun's Twitter where the discussion shifted to, well, why not here? Why didn't Steve Nash find a way to come to Phoenix? That, that drove me nuts. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm really happy with Monty Williams. Obviously yeah. <laughs> Monty Williams seems so. to be a good mix of, like I was talking about earlier, relationship and X's and O's. Yes. Um, no coach is perfect, uh, but Monty did make a lot of really good adjustments. And one of the biggest adjustments was how they played and honed all of their um, what they'd learned all year in the bubble when they reconvened and came back and got, you know, uh, the 2019-20 season part two. Um, he really was able to build on the on the schemes that he had worked on and enhance some of them and change some of them for the better 
um, as well as being a huge relationships coach. So I think the Suns have a great coach right now, yeah. and I definitely don't want to make any changes. If we're talking five, six years ago, thank you, Greg, for sharing with us uh, what, what went down then. I'm sure, in fact, Steve and Robert invested in a soccer team a few years ago, so it's not like Steve has any animosity toward the organization. I know it's different for, uh, between investing with somebody as a partner versus working for them. But um, I think it was just more circumstantial on the, on the Steve part. Well, and look, there's a lot you can rip uh, the Suns for uh, as an organization. Robert Sarver is an owner, but this is just, you're stretching if, if you're trying to, to find a way to turn this into, into something against them, especially uh, yeah. the people that were trying to act as if, oh, they should have looked at a way to hire Steve. Nash so let's go further go. into the Robert Sarver exactly. uh, drum of, of, you know, black inkiness. Okay. Uh, first thing is, did you have any clue Espo? Oh, you ass. Did you have any clue <laughs> That Robert Sarver had threatened Earl Watson's job <laughs> over using Rich Paul as an agent. What, did that shock you, you? You mean that news that uh, that uh, Dan Bickley supposedly broke uh, about a week ago? Yeah, I think I remember saying that about a year ago on the show. And that's not that is not yeah. a knock on Dan. I, I do Dan. I do recall uh, us talking about it. It's, um, it's more on of a show. knock on the on the editor of Brightside, who uh, <laughs> apparently didn't read the article that went up on his site and give us credit before that. But yes, if you remember about, <laughs> I think it was about a year ago, we mm. had discussed and I had shared that I had multiple sources that confirmed that Robert Sarver had indeed uh, told uh, told Earl Watson that he had to fire Rich Paul. Uh, if he uh, if he wanted to remain coach of the Suns because Rich Paul was trying to orchestrate a, uh, a either in a contract extension for Eric Bledsoe or a trade while Eric had two years left on his deal yeah. because they thought they had leverage since the team had sat Bledsoe. Uh, to tank basically, and it, it turned into a complete uh, just mess where where Watson uh, Sarver did this without telling McDonough. So Watson is has his job threatened. The general manager has no clue as as Watson uh, reaches out to him, and they're both just completely. Uh, shocked by this and so it's just it's just a mess and as we know basically what winds up happening is uh, Earl Watson kind of just shuts it down at, at that point because he's not going to fire right. Rich Paul because the optics on that just aren't <clears throat> favorable. How many points did the uh, Suns lose their first three games by? Oh, was that what was 93. it? 30, 30 plus in each of those games. Uh, so, yeah. No, one was only a two point loss oh, to okay. uh, Alonzo Ball almost getting you're, his first triple double. But right. there was two 40 plus point loss. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> like 93 points, it set an NBA record for. Losing margin in your first three games of a season, so you know Earl did set a record on his way out the door. Let's uh, yeah, let's let's be clear. Threatening your head coach's job to based on his who he's chosen as an agent just days before the season, not a good move, especially when your point well, guard is already wanting out. And oh, and by totally. the way, that's no, the you've got to have see that's the thing is you've got to have better people skills, and I'm hoping that James. Jones and Monty Williams help um, long-term 
with those people skills because obviously Robert has negotiating problems with people who fight him too much. And Rich Paul is now extremely famous and was just growing that reputation as someone who plays hardball uh, with, you know, with the, with the establishment, which they deserve. You deserve to get played hardball with if you're an NBA owner. You deserve it. And you have to be able to withstand that. Now maybe James Jones can be more of a go-between. I'm not saying that suddenly the sun should sign all clutch um, uh, guys don't no. But what I am saying is rich Paul, uh, laid a big foundation to piss off, uh, anyone who would be trying to negotiate with him, especially with Eric Bledsoe. First he made, if you remember the off season of 2014, he made Bledsoe sit out the entire off season until yeah. two days before training camp, leaving the Suns in limbo on who their point guard was going to be and, and how and what, and what kind of mood he was going to be in just three years before that. And then they signed him to a five-year contract. And just two off-seasons later, Rich Paul is pushing for an extension that is like, well, why are we talking now about an extension? I remember Ryan McDonough talking, just saying, of course, you know, in one ear, out the other, both sides of mouth, all that stuff. But um, Ryan McDonough was saying there's there's just literally no reason for us to negotiate an extension with two full years left on the contract just because the CBA says it's possible. And uh, so that... And there must have been some strong arming going on there to really piss off Robert Sarver, not just a kind little, hey, can we talk about an extension? There must have been a little bit more harsh back and forth and threats back and forth on that. And as you saw, when it did go downhill, Eric Bledsoe completely tanked and um, didn't want to be here on his way out of town. Um, And now, if you look back, history is not kind to those guys. I mean, Rich Paul, obviously history is very kind too because of LeBron LeBron James, but Earl Watson has not been a coach in the NBA since, and he actually went back to school. Um, And I don't know, I don't even know what he's doing right now. Um, But, you know, good guy, but not a great NBA coach. And then Eric Bledsoe, he just got lots of chances to show how he's not a playoff player. Look, uh, and Rich Paul did get him an extension, though. Good for Rich Paul. Got him the extension he wanted half a season after getting traded to the Bucks, uh, before Bledsoe could disappoint him in the playoffs. So look, good for Rich Paul. Rich Rich Paul is shrewd. I mean, he's a shrewd negotiator yeah. and and is calculated with it. the The part of this story, the "I don't want to be here" tweet, from what I understand came because he found out what was being done to Earl Watson. And that's where the frustration really came to a head. It wasn't the, it wasn't the lack of them being willing to move on, on the contract. It was the fact that uh, Watson had relationships with these players. And then mm-hmm. uh, Bledsoe finds out about, you know, what happened and it triggers it triggers that because at that point he's like there's this is the point of no return you're you're now trying to get my agent fired by from a coach that i like and and threatening to fire that coach so you see how things unravel pretty quickly so yeah but dave thank you so much on brightside for making sure we got credited for uh, for that on, on the article that Who's was citing we? dan Dickley. i got credit no matter what because uh, well, you know i was true. on you both, get paid both, so. both places so yeah no but uh, <laughs> that's not a oh, knock and, on, and uh rick i just um i'm only going to rick johnson in the chat i'm only going to quibble a little bit rick says bud has been so good with Bledsoe, yeah, because he doesn't play in very many minutes, and he clearly likes plays like he wants to be in Milwaukee. Does he really in the playoffs? 
Maybe he wants. Yeah, he's clearly. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're going. I see where you're going, Rick, because he's in Orlando right now. He really wishes he was in Milwaukee. Uh, so he don't want to be there in Orlando either because Bledsoe has not been playing well in these playoffs. But let's be honest, playoffs weren't going to be a son's problem, uh, even with Bledsoe here. So that's fine. But the other thing that came up uh, with with Robert Sarver over the last few weeks since our last show was the fact that Brian Windhorse, as a guest on Arizona Sports 98.7 yeah. FM, said that he's hearing rumors that Robert Sarver wants to decrease payroll going in to next season and uh, said that it has been a, a, he's heard it from multiple sources. Uh, John Gambadoro then comes out and says, it's not true. I don't know who to believe on this. History tells us that well, when, yeah. when they, when they say that, that Sarver may be considering making cuts that you probably believe it when you look back and we're not talking ancient history. We're talking, uh, since this pandemic started, they've sold the G League team. They laid off 30, uh, 30 employees. To me, that's somebody that's in a, uh, a financial preservation mode, uh, not in a growth mindset. So I can see where it makes sense what Windhorse is saying, but yeah. I also trust John Gambadoro as well. So I don't know where to well, land on this. I mean, look, John Gambadoro, we all know. He's got some kind of uh, love-hate relationship going with Robert Sarver. And and so if anyone's going to hear something straight from Sarver, it's going to be Gambo. That doesn't mean it continues to be true after that's been leaked to Gambo. However, I will say, look, let me go into this a little bit. I wrote a whole article on Brightside, brightsideofthesun.com. It's a great site. I wrote a whole article on this that you know every freaking owner is going to spend less money this next this off season for sure and let me tell you why because uh fans bring in 40% of gate receipts or um uh basketball related income <clears throat> so 40% reduction in current and future income is going to force and then a salary cap that's probably going to be at least frozen in place or very close to their current salary cap of 109 million when income is only going to really dictate a salary cap of more like 70 million all the owners are gonna, are going to uh, tighten their belts a little bit and i guarantee that robert sarver is not going to be one of the outliers there might be two or three owners that say hey i don't care i'm going to i'm going to pour money in where no one else is spending but I swear to God, um, most of those owners are going to spend very little money this offseason. You're going to see a ton of one-year contracts signed by players. It'll be like, um, uh, I don't know if you guys follow it at all, and I only half followed it, but baseball offseason a few years ago when they put in a couple of new restrictions on cap, uh, players sat around for months. The best, uh, uh, sorry, NB MLB players sat around for months before they got good contracts. Only a few of them got the best ones and the rest signed one year deals and low below market. So you're going to see a lot of below market sales this off season or, or contracts this off season. Uh, will Robert Sarver gut the team to save money? Heck no. no He's but... already got the youngest team roster in the league and they're almost all on rookie contracts. No, there's nothing to gut. There's this team. You are very lucky Suns fans. And I know it doesn't feel like that after 10 years of missing playoffs. Swear, I swear to God, I don't feel lucky either. However, <laughs> think about this. If there's going to be a roster that Robert Sarver is going to pinch pennies on, it's going to be one that has almost no free agents and is almost all on rookie deals. So you're not going to get better contracts out there. I mean, he's got to make a couple of decisions on, 
campaign and Devon Carter. Well, those guys are minimums. <laughs> so he's not, there's no less money he can spend. He's got to fill a roster. Don't worry about it. He's not going to trade Devin Booker. He wants to make the playoffs too. What's going to happen likely is that uh, the NBA is going to delay the season as long as they possibly can to get the right mix of being able to play 82 games and have fans in the stands. Um, so whether it's half full or 40% full or 30% full or whatever in the stands, um, NBA is going to wait until you can get some. And uh, as once they do that, then the owners will feel a little bit more comfortable. But this offseason, they'll have to spend before we know if fans can be back in the stands. So every owner is going to be a little tight. All that means is you're not going to see the Suns trying to gather up every last penny to throw at Fred Van Vliet. Look, That's look. what it means. Look, I I appreciate where you're coming from, Dave, and I understand the logic behind the owners have lost money because of the pandemic, and the, thus most like owners literally half. I I get that, but if if supposedly uh, Robert Sarver comes from a banking background or an investing background, the time to invest is, is at the downturn because there's going to be a come up, right? there's a competitive advantage if you go into this off season with the mindset that nobody else is going to spend. So if we do, we can, we can get guys still at a cheaper price than they would have been in a regular market without the downturn, but we can add the pieces that we need moving forward. I think this is an off season that you don't put the, the foot off the gas. You put it on because you can yeah, but find you guys. You don't overpay for Fred no. and Bleak. No, I but feel not... like Fred is going to get overpaid this offseason. He was just one example I just was using. You're not going to see the Suns. You're not going to see Robert Sarver paying uh, more than a guy appears to be worth. And he's going to look for the great contracts. So he's going to wait. They're, the Suns are, if the Suns sign anybody on day one, that's still going to be a pretty good deal. Now, let's look back at last summer. Ricky Rubio, they cleared some space and then they were able to sign Ricky Rubio, right? They made those two cash consideration trades and they were able to sign Rubio. Would they do that again? Yes, because Rubio, that was a good deal. I know some people said he was overpaid, but guess what? He's the 17th highest paid starting point guard in the league. Is he that 17th highest value starting point guard in the league? Absolutely. So that was a good deal. I'm just saying they're not going to throw 20 million at Christian Wood. They're not going to throw... 25 million at Fred Van Bleet. That's all I'm saying. But they're but not going to get the team. Overpaying is always a bad idea. Like there's I'm I'm not saying go out and be reckless because then you get Hakeem Warwick, Hidu Turkaloo and uh, and the bunch that you got after you let Amari go. That's not that's not yeah. what I'm talking about. And Josh Childress was the other name I was looking for. Uh, that's, that's not what you it. that's not what you you go and do. Yeah, but my he's point less is likely to do the Childress Warwick kind of panic thing because also because he doesn't have any big free agents to lose that's what's wonderful about this offseason is that um there's really no anyone big to let go that wasn't already going to be let go even if there was full revenue my point simply is the, the the idea and the premise of what brian winhorse said was that he's going to try to cut spending right yeah, uh, and fine. and that's the premise 
this is the off season to not do that because there's going to be value out there because every other owner is going to almost every other owner is going to be thinking in a mindset that, oh, well, we took these losses. I can't spend. But if you look big picture and if if you're in it big picture and this isn't just something to make money off of, but you're looking at how do we win long term and how do we maximize the investment and make money in the future? This is the off season that you're shrewd about it. You spend money. You spend it smart, but you find the values. You you add to your payroll by by finding yeah. the pieces that you need because you're never going to get better uh, a better competitive advantage than this off season if you're willing to spend because uh, other people are going to come with that mindset that Win Horse is reporting that the Suns are looking at. It just that's that's what bothers me. My, Sar- right. Hold on, Sarver isn't cheap. People call him cheap. But he makes he's made dumb moves in the past, but he hasn't necessarily <laughs> been cheap with a lot of things outside of Joe Johnson, which I think was more pride than cheap. He didn't like the fact that he got rebuffed on his on his deal, and then both guys got stubborn. Uh, he has not been uh, overly cheap on things. He's just made bad moves. This is the off season to spend, but trust that James Jones knows what he's doing. If you have full belief that James Jones is the guy to craft the vision and find the pieces right here for this team, you give him the payroll to do it, and you and you take the advantage while other people aren't willing to spend. Okay, so here's my here's my ninety five percent likelihood prediction going hot right here okay 95 percent likelihood prediction um the suns are right at the cap if they bring anybody in after they get to the cap it's going to be minimum contracts for end of roster like a Sheck diallo last summer that's what you're going to see you're not going to see them spend the mle mid-level exception to go over the cap there is a scenario and I put it in our little show notes here. So let me scroll to it. There is a scenario that I that um, Brendan and I wrote about earlier this week that um, what can the Suns do reasonably to bring back most of the team and then add free agents, okay? So what you've got is the Suns could be as much as $20 million under the cap. Yeah, if the, assuming the cap, let's say this cap is a flat $109 million from last year, okay? The Suns could be about 20 million under that, which will be about the fifth most free agent money to spend if all teams are going to spend their money. Okay. There are teams with a lot more. The Knicks have a lot more. The Hawks have a lot more, uh, a couple of other teams, but the Suns will have 20 some million. All right. But they would have to get rid of all but eight of their players to do it. They'd have to um, uh, let go all of Baines and Sharich and all these guys and, and renounce them. To be able to get that twenty million, are they? Do they? Should they do that? No. So what they're most likely a really good scenario is that they bring back um, Javon Carter and Cameron Payne as their as their third, fourth, fifth, you know that kind of range guards um, in case they don't come back playing as well. They're both on minimum contracts, so you don't you're not losing anything by bringing those guys back. They're about two million apiece. Then you bring in the number ten pick or some. Uh, financial equivalent to the number 10 pick. For example, last year they traded the number six pick to bring back Dario Saric and Cam Johnson um, with the 11. And that was basically a wash on money. Okay. So, um, but the, the 10 are an equivalent in a trade and you keep Saric on the qualifying offer to see what kind of 
offers he gets. Um, and uh, then you just sign him for something reasonable after nobody signs him to 10 plus million dollars a year. Uh, and then you bring him back as your backup five. <clears throat> if you do that, that gives you 10 players under contract plus Dario's qualifying offer. So you've still got your rights to match anything you, if you want to. And that puts you, guess what that does? That puts you right at the cap. And right at the cap, you can spend the mid-level exception to go over the cap. Would the Suns spend the whole mid-level on a single player? Only if it was a huge, awesome deal. Not huge, like, price-wise deal, but huge value deal. Like, the market is so depressed, nobody wants to spend money. And the Suns get a very good player. Um, Yeah, they could do that. But I think it's likely that they just roll back most of last year's team and then bring in young guys to fill out the end of the roster. Which I I am concerned if you just roll and I'm I'm probably gonna mm-hmm. get killed for this in the chat, but I'm concerned if you just bring back most of last year's roster for the simple fact that I just I that team was on a path when you look at an 82 game season to be 30 maybe 35 to 40 win team well they were uh, they were on pace for 38 wins this year and we're going to talk about this in a minute but you can't completely discount the bubble um everyone goes has good streaks of if you discount the 8-0 bubble you have to discount an earlier 0-8 yeah. streak in december which they're still basically almost a 500 team yeah, which which concerns me. How much growth are you really going to see? I think you still need to add something to this mix to be where you want to be, and that is in playoff contention uh, with the chance to, to the chance for these guys to grow by getting getting playoff experience. So it's going to be a really interesting off season, uh, as a, a local radio station likes to say about every off season for every, uh, every team. It's the biggest off season in Phoenix Suns history. Not really, but it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what they do to add to this mix. And I where think they can make the playoffs without making any big changes. It depends on what they do with that number 10 pick. My assumption is they're going to turn the number 10 pick into either a guy who can play in the rotation this year, like a Cam Johnson and Mikel Bridges, or they're going to trade it for a young veteran who's in the 24, 25, 26 year old range who can also play. Um, Either way, they're going to add a rotation player with the equivalent of that number 10 pick. And depending on that rotation player, um, I think, you know, the Suns could be good, could be a playoff team next year. Whether you want them to be a 50-win team immediately, then you've got to then you've got to really kind of do a little bit of a um, shakeup to get there. Now, uh, I, the also West, think, the West I also think I also think there's going to be though. trades. There's there's going to be trades of players. Yeah. Um, uh, we haven't even talked about Kelly Oubre. I want to I want to um, dedicate a whole show to that one because that's a conundrum uh, wrapped up in an enigma. So I think the Kelly Oubre thing is where you're going to get your rotation. Um, you're either going to stay with him or you're going to get a different uh, position about that same money. We'll talk about Kelly another time. All right. um, let's move on to. Oh, I, got, uh, I Matt. got what we're hold on. I got what we're moving on to next. Uh, don't you Go worry. And people are going to love this, right? We're <laughs> This is what everybody has been waiting to talk about on the sun solar panel. We all wanted to talk about it. Devin Booker and Justin Bieber, the dream team, him, Kendall Jenner. Uh, that's the big three that everybody was hoping that the Suns would get this off season. They're vacationing in Idaho of all places. I vacationed in Idaho and I don't know why, if you have millions of dollars, 
that's where you choose to go. Maybe it's a pandemic thing, but uh, I, you know, I find I, I find this to be a, a stupidly fascinating story. And as you see, People.com has uh, sources, uh, sources within the vacation. Sausage. Uh, yeah, ma- massive sauces inside the vacation that are saying Devin Booker is very sweet to her. He spends a lot of time with Kendall and her friends, too. And you know what? I don't care if Devin Booker's a gentle lover and loves to be with her friends. <laughs> like the fact that this is what I had to I- I- be inundated with for part of this week. Good on you, Devin Booker. Go <laughs> hang out with uh, Justin and Haley Bieber in Idaho. As long as your ass is back in Phoenix and ready to play basketball whenever the next season starts, I don't care how you spend your off season. I just I don't know why people are so damn fascinated with uh, <laughs> with where Devin Booker decides to spend his time. Uh, the Idaho part, yeah, sure, that's a head scratcher. I that's probably one of the last places. I pick uh, to to go vacation, and I have family there even. But uh, but good on you, Devin. Uh, hang out. Maybe with they're the visiting uh, uh, Ray Hrovat, uh West Boise Roy, um, who used to be East Bay Ray, uh, <laughs> until he moved to Idaho uh, in the Boise area. So it's possible that you know maybe uh, Ray actually ran into those guys. I believe there's a few Idahoans in the chat as well, uh, which is, which is fine. I, uh, I'm, I'm all for <laughs> MT's a believer. A all right, believer. man. Hey, you know, <laughs> if I could pick a, a high class citizen for Devin Booker to spend time with it, well, it would be a member of the Kardashians and, and, and the Bieber family. I, I think wholesome when I think Look, that so. from what I can, from what we can tell at this point, because he hasn't quite been corrupted yet. Uh, but Booker is treating this relationship like he treats everything, which Score is pretty first. much low-key. Score first, <laughs> stay low-key. Bam. <laughs> He's getting I, them taters in uh, Idaho right yeah. now. <laughs> I just, you know, I just... It kills me that people are, like, so enthralled by Devin Booker dating Kendall Jenner. Uh, beautiful people gravitate to beautiful people yeah. and that's what's happening here. All right. And uh, th- that's just kind of the way, the way it that. is. Rick, Rick in the chat is in Boise and you know what? I tip my hat to you, Rick. That's right, Rick I spent, is, yeah. I spent a month living in Boise one summer and uh, it was the longest year of my life is, is <laughs> what I have to say about it. So, you know, Devin, enjoy your time with, uh, with beautiful rich people and we'll see you back in Phoenix for, uh, for some basketball. Staying on the Devin topic here a little bit, uh, Devin book, uh, NBA 2K21 came out and he's still getting dissed on 2K21. Who here, uh, Raspo, are you a 2K21 player? Uh, I am. I'm not good, but I play, yes. So, uh, what do you think about Booker being an 87? I need context. I mean, my my most recent video game playing days was Atari. So, now look, I believe Jason Tatum uh, was an 89. To give you an idea, I think Booker deserved to be uh, 90, 91, especially after what we saw in the bubble. And and they can adjust these ratings on the fly. It's not like oh well, they made the video game and he was an 87. So they can adjust things on the fly. And I I don't know, maybe the bubble wasn't taken into consideration in this first rating. Maybe there'll be an update that, that takes that into consideration. But Devin Booker is, uh, is in the 90, 91 range Uh, to put this in pong terms. uh, 
I can't because I don't know anything about Atari. Uh, I was going to try to make Ding it make dunk. sense to you, Dave. But, Ding dunk. but again, it's just another example of, of Devin Booker not getting the, the full respect that uh, that he that he deserves in that. I mean, he could have uh, even in 89 uh, is, is, you know, on that verge of 90. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe it's just the non-playoff tax. It's it's yeah maybe I I don't know but it it you can tell he's not in the he's not the kind of guy in the game that he is in the actual NBA world and and it kind of it kind of hamstrings you and uh, Herbie in the chat brings up the fact that Devin Booker's an eighty seven Luca's a ninety four that gives you kind of a feel for it. I don't think there's that big of a gap between those two players uh that that it warrants that so uh that gives you an idea it's all dumb it's all virtual basketball it it doesn't really matter but uh, it, but it actually kind of does to the players that's the funny thing players take these very seriously i remember when working for the team we'd get some advanced copies and then we'd get to tell the players what their ratings were and and they would get so into it and they'd get angry if it was too low or uh, i remember one year we got day of uh, of of media day we got an advanced copy of uh, of nba 2k i don't remember which one it was and you flipped it to the back and just literally uh, 2k probably back yeah, in well, yeah back in those old days you flip <laughs> it over and jared dudley's getting posterized on the back so we got <laughs> we got to show him on on media day i gotta show him and i've got a photo somewhere uh, of of me showing him him getting posterized and he laughed, but he actually got offended. Like these guys take 2k very, very seriously. So I'm sure Devin is not happy with the fact that, that he has an 87 and you think you would think that since he and Aiton uh, were in that championship game of, of that tournament and that he won the 2k tournament, they would have given him a little extra love, but no, they did not in this. Uh, another way to put it in perspective, Booker's an 87. Aiton is an 84. Do you think DeAndre yeah. is that close of a player to Devin Booker? And that's not a knock on DeAndre Aiton. I think no, 84 is pretty good right for him. But yeah, but Devin Booker is better. Is more than three yeah. points better in a rating. <clears throat> we'll see how this next season plays out uh, for you guys anyway. And I'll just kind of watch on the sidelines. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, so yeah, let's yeah. uh let's jump to our gorilla time or oh. rant city as we're gonna call it. Uh, that, that's today too, that's because... too close to clutch city. I don't I, that reminds me of the old Rockets teams. Let's uh okay, gorilla time. Let's see right. gorilla time. <laughs> so uh there's <laughs> um when you when you look at the playoff finalists, very few teams are still relying on a seven plus foot guy. Um to be a key player on your reason you can win a championship. Joel Embiid, knocked out. Um, other big centers, knocked. The only ones left, really, who play big centers are uh, the Lakers. <clears throat> Clippers, they play a little bit of Ivica Zubats. They play a lot of Montrez Harrell, who's 6'8". The Rockets just embarrassed the Lakers last night, although uh, does, I don't think that has anything to do with the, fi- the outcome of the final final outcome of the series. Um, then you've got the Celtics who play uh, Daniel Tice as their center, and they're doing pretty darn well. you got the Miami Heat who play the 6'9", Cam out of, or excuse me, Bam out of <laughs> Cam, bio. Cam out of bio. Then yeah, yeah. he'd be a son Bam if he was Bam out of bio, 
who's uh, extremely multi-talented and all that, but he's only about six, nine. And so he's under that seven foot threshold. Um, you've got, uh, I'm trying to remember the rest of the Milwaukee. Uh, they obviously have Giannis, but they're, they're about to get beat by Miami. But um, in, in Milwaukee, you've got Giannis. Then you have really Brooke Lopez is not your key. You're going to win a championship. Um, and that poor guy, don't ever put the ball on the floor again, Brooke, please, because you get it stolen by Jimmy Butler every single time. Um, then you've got, you know, I, I'm running, I'm losing track of the teams, but you've got the Thunder who um, rely on Steven Adams and then they're out. So there is an argument that the Suns can't possibly win with DeAndre Ayton being a top two or top three player on their team because, because he's too tall. What do you think, Greg? I think that's an asinine assertion. And if you, you hold it, Dave, I apologize for calling you asinine. I do not. I, I don't really. I do not. But... I don't, I, what, here's the thing. You don't want Al Jefferson anymore today, right, in the no. NBA. Okay. No, you don't want, you don't want um, Jalil Okafor. You don't want Andre Drummond. What do those guys have in common? Those guys, what they have in common is the ability to play, the inability to play defense outside of the paint. What DeAndre Ayton has proven already in his two years is that he's actually one of those unicorns when he remembers to be one. He's actually one of those unicorns who can defend anywhere. He can track you down from the perimeter and block your shot. He can stop you from driving by staying in front of you on the perimeter. He can block three-pointers when he when he actually does it right instead of uh, commit ticky-tack fouls on a guy who throws himself under his feet. Um, he can also help defend in the at the rim and all that. I, I believe that DeAndre Ayton is closer in his actualization of himself, is closer to a um, uh, BAM out of bio than he is to an Ivica Zubats. Yeah, and look, I, you you look at this, and the NBA goes in cycles in, in what's in fashion and what works, and up until... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, word. I'm sorry, Rick, Rick, Rick. I don't mean offensively, I'm sorry. I don't want to give anyone the impression I'm talking about. Aiden and Bam are similar offensively. They're, I'm not saying that at all. Bam is an incredible passer. Aiden is not. Um, what I'm saying is defensively, the things they bring on defense, Aiden can never be played off the floor because of that. And then we just got to figure out what kind of offense he's great at. So sorry, yeah, Greg, go back. That, that's fine. Well, I, I'm just saying the NBA is cyclical, right? A, a lot of trends come and go uh, up until the Warriors. We wouldn't have, uh, nobody would have sat here and said the three, just shooting threes is going to be what it, what makes the difference. And, and even they played Andrew Bogut uh, at center. They had a, a traditional big man for, for part of their run. Uh, look, I think that we have had a, a run of, uh, of n not a lot of talented, hugely talented big men coming into the game and, and it shifted things, but guys like Aiton, mm -hmm. there there's a, there's a style of, of seven footer that can still have a major impact. And I think we're seeing Deandre Aiton uh, take the final steps into that kind of an evolution. He shot the three in Orlando, which was kind of uh, that one of those pieces offensively that you felt he needed. He's proving defensively that he's smart enough to pick up on it. And he's, he's become from year one to year two, a huge jump in, in what he was able to do defensively for this team. So I think just looking at a height and saying, this is not, you can't win yeah. this way in the NBA is, is a very myopic way. And I know these guys aren't doing it. it based on height and, and they'll argue 
That is not that's not why I say Aiden is blah blah. But it kind of is. You're kind of you're deciding already because he's as big as he is, as tall as he is, that he cannot be a BAM type. It's like you're it's like there is a little bit of, of side discrimination going on, whether it's conscious or not. Um, Aiden's ability to slide and move and play defense is what separates him from other seven footers out there that are getting played. And really the Suns are not trying to post Aiden up. And I know that's a problem too, because these defenses are getting so big at defending things like that on post-ups. What Aiden's going to end up being is a guy who either scores at the rim or scores um, uh, beyond the arc and then only takes mid-rangers when it's either in the offense or uh, low on the shot clock. That's what's going to happen. If you look, Nikola Jokic takes a ton of mid-range shots. And yeah. nobody complains about that because they're in the offense. He takes a ton. Um, and uh, Anthony Davis, guess what? Anthony Davis takes a ton of mid-range shots. And nobody complains because that, that's part of who he is in the game, in his game. But he also gets to the rim. He also uh, takes threes and all that. And that's what Aiton's got to do is just round it out so the mid-rangers aren't such a pain in the ass to watch. Look, And I think the argument could be made if you're one guy, if you only have one real star and it's a, a, a seven-foot big man, that might be an argument you can make that you can't win. I mean, look at the 76ers uh, without Ben Simmons in the playoffs. Uh, I think you can make that argument if every Everything you do is built around one seven foot guy that's that's immensely talented and you don't have a lot of other talent. You're probably in trouble, but that's not the case here. Yeah, obviously, Devin Booker uh, is is the number one main guy. And, and I think you can have one of your one or, or one of your two or three uh, stars on a team be a guy like an Aiton and, and still win. And maybe I'm being pie in the sky and hoping because that's what we're. Well, and I don't even think it's an here, and Phoenix, still but. win like like they can carry him. I think Aiton can be a big reason. Yeah. Here's another thing about Aiton that's that uh, people have to get on board with. I think is that he came into the league as potentially an empty calories guy. Right when he first came in. He got the rebounds, he got the points, but people only wanted to see him do the little things and play defense and block shots and and be a, a rim protector and all that stuff. And then this year, he kind of turned into that. He, he turned into a guy who's more about what he brings that doesn't hit the stat sheet while still hitting the stat sheet with all of his other stuff. And people, I think, are still stuck in the empty calories kind of thing. And they're, And while they argue and they know he's a good defender, it's like they forget about that when it's time to talk about his viability in today's NBA. He's not Andre Drummond. Yeah, it's selective he's not, memory. He's not a slow, empty calories center, and he's not a post-up or die center. He's not. Um, he's a little bit of everything, and even Zach Lowe said it. The, the key with Aiton going forward is he what's, what's he going to focus on to be really good at? And I trust Monty Williams to help Aiton figure that out. Oh, of course. I think Monty is the perfect guy to help him figure that out. And look, it's going to take one team uh, with a, a talented big man to win a championship. And everybody's just going to be like, Oh, well the big man's back. And it's like, well, it, it never went away. It evolved. That's the problem. Like everybody's like the center position's dead in the NBA. No, it's evolving. And certain types of big men uh, don't fit, fit the mold and, and the right. slow plotting that makes sense. But Deandre Ayton isn't one of those guys. You, you didn't draft yet. Yeah, you didn't draft uh, Jalil Okafor. You didn't draft a guy 
uh, that that was from the 80s and, and early 90s in terms of centers. This isn't Luke Longley. This is a, this is a guy you know, or Bill Cartwright. This is a guy that you can go uh, and succeed and and have success with. So. I think this is one of those. If yeah. if you paint with a wide brush, you're going to come to the conclusion that every anybody over you know seven foot just can't succeed in the league anymore. And I think it's a lazy argument. All right, let's move to question time. Question so big um, finish. Hey, flaming ballers yeah, Q and A plus some no. questions from Twitter God. as well. Can you get can you get the name of this segment right? It's the Flaming Ballers Sack. Let's say let's reach deep sack into of it. questions. Flaming it, Ball it Sack is. of questions. So it's like a mailbag kind of get it, guys. Uh, uh, anyways, yeah, let's <laughs> let's uh, let's look at this and 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 pull up some questions. We had some of our subscribers on the YouTube channel, some of our Flaming Ballers who have actually. Uh, paid to be part of uh, of the family which we appreciate guys we know we that you could spend your to be part of a family you, you could spend your money at uh you know taking trips with Ky uh, kendall jenner to uh, idaho i mean we know you could spend your money that way but you choose to spend it with us and we appreciate that so uh one of the ways we thank you is by reading your questions in the uh in this section of the show and first one comes from mt who is active in the chat today too mt always appreciate you here wants to know who's the sun's second best player dave oh it's definitely deandre aiden for sure <laughs> now is he this is he is he the guy who is actually you could argue that ricky rubio was the second most important to the sun's winning games this year in his own quiet way. But I would say definitely DeAndre Ayton is the Suns' second best player. No, no, no question in my mind. I don't know if there was some uh, some previous statement that you made that uh, that brought that question up. I'm not sure. Oh, well, but... we did give Frank Kaminsky the highest grade. <laughs> Frank Frank the is the best player on the Suns. Go re-rack that <laughs> episode. Enjoy For it. context, again, it was compared to expectations that Frank graded out the highest. We expected a lot of these other guys. How can, uh, by but, the way, no, how Definitely conceded... DeAndre Ayton is their second best player. Did I say someone different, MT, uh, before? Please correct me if I was... <laughs> If I said something different before. By the way, how conceited am I? I just called it an esposode uh, before I corrected myself. Esposode. Episode. So I'm a douche is what that uh, what that means. Uh, MT is real question here, though, was a follow-up question. What do you... What do the Suns do with the bench this offseason? Keep developing the young players or make some moves and bring in some experience uh, on the team? Uh, what are your thoughts there, Dave? What do I think they're going to do or should do? Uh, why don't we do both? What do you think they okay. should do? And then what do you think they'll actually do? Okay. So this is really interesting because Monty Williams, in one of his first post-game interviews, he was uh NBA game time. I think he was on. He said that they're at the point where they, um, and they already did it this past year with Ricky Rubio and Aaron Baines. They're at the point where they need to bring in a couple of older guys um, into smaller rotation spots to help, shore up their 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 deeper bench area so you might see them if they if they let Aaron Baines go bring back another guy around like that however most of the roster is going to stay young in their deep bench and and I'm going to say is because James Jones has been very clear that he wants to develop young guys at the end of the bench. He wants to do it at the NBA level. They will still have their G League team for one more season. 
um, uh, Jalen LeCue says thank you very much for that. Some questions. Are you 100% sure on that? Because I've heard questions because Detroit technically owns it now. I've heard yeah. the, the coaching I don't staff know the isn't coming total, back. In the right, GD. right, right. It's possible that, right, it'll stay. You're right. It might stay in Arizona in the Phoenix area for a year, but the Suns may not run the roster, but that will, I'm guessing that that or another G league, remember before the Suns owned a G league team, they would just like, uh, they would still have players that were their players. Yeah. They would just put them on different teams. Yeah. They'd send That'll them to the Iowa have, energy. I believe, yeah, exactly. There's still yeah. going to be some relationship where James, where Jalen LeCue is going to be in a G league with the, uh, on the Suns, you know, on a contract with the Suns and playing in the G League next year. Don't worry. Um, so will the Suns um, uh, develop 11 through 15 on the roster? Will be very young guys. 100% sure of that. It's it's what do they do with 9 and 10? And and uh, spots 9 and 10. Right now, that's basically campaign and, and Javon Carter. So that means what do you do with 6, 7, and 8? Well, you're going to have one or two 30-year-olds in there, I think. Uh, Monty is basically bringing, saying just to make sure that we develop the professionalism. Which is what they did this year. I mean, they right. you, had, you had Baines, you had, you had Frank. I mean, you had older uh, guys who had played played the game. So I right. that we saw it this year. Yeah, just if you uh, – they're going to keep Ricky, obviously, uh, for next year. There's their one one of their 30-year-olds, and they're going to have another one like an Aaron Baines if they let Aaron Baines go. All the rest will be like the main rotation guys will be just like this past year, 23 to 26 years old. And then the deep, deep bench guys will be um, in the 22 to 21 range, you know, young guys that they're trying to develop. Like Ty Jerome will be among that group. Look, and I think I think that makes sense to to go that route. Uh, what I'd love to see is, uh, you know, uh, a couple guys uh, added to this group, uh, or whether it's shuffling the deck. Where you get rid of Frank uh, and Baines, you bring in bringing Frank guys, and Frank and Baines, uh, <laughs> that you know are of a similar mindset, but. A guy that I've seen, and when all of us have, if you've been watching the playoffs. Uh, that we know well here in Phoenix is PJ Tucker. And we always said, you know, it's a shame that this guy is on such bad Suns teams, because if he was on, uh, on a, a good Suns team with a good young core, he'd be mm-hmm. the perfect kind of guy to, mm-hmm. to, to show them the way and, and how to play and add that grit and toughness. I think that's the kind of guy they were missing this year. The kind of grit and toughness guy, that guy that, that, you know, we used to call it PJ Tucker, the garbage man. Because he did the little things, he did. He he, he just got in the muck yeah. if he needed to. I think that's the kind of piece you got to find uh, this off season to add to that bench is a guy that just does anything that needs to be done to get the win. And some people are argue, well, Javon Carter's kind of the guy. He kind of is, but I want a guy who's got that experience, who's been through it a little bit, that to do this a, a little bit more. I want to see that type of guy wind up on this bench. And I don't have, I don't have the name yet uh, uh, on who that guy is. And and as we go, I'll along, just throw this out. Um, it would be not surprising if someone along the with the ilk of a Jeff Green, yeah. I, is is brought in not him necessarily particularly because I, I think he is a free agent after the season from the Rockets but a guy who is just kind of a pro I don't yeah. know about being an enforcer a physical enforcer and throwing other people down but a pro who comes in does his job 
is no longer at the stage of his career where he's got to be like a main rotation player or you try to overplay him, but he's definitely a helpful player in that he can be a stretch four, even a small five um, in, in a pinch and can, it can play just about any, any of the forward positions, uh, any of the big positions at this stage in a modern NBA. So that kind of guy who is like, Oh, he's still in the league almost. And then he becomes a, uh, uh, you know, a significant player. He becomes the irrational fan uh, favorite in town, which always happens in this city. There's always some random dude that, uh, that becomes the, the fan favorite at some point, much like Javon Carter did at times this year with, uh, with certain fans. Uh, so I, I agree yeah. though, the back half of the roster, look, when they sold the G league team, that solidified that, that 11 through 15. If you, if you keep all, uh, all 15 on there are going to be young guys that, that that's yeah. just, that's just the way they want to approach development now. So don't expect a, a huge deep bench of, uh, of veterans because they, they have a lot of, of young talent. I'm sure they'll add at least another draft pick in this draft. That'll be part of that group. So you're going to have to expect that that back half the bench is going to be immensely young for the Suns team. All right. What's our next question, Greg? Uh, a kid also active in the chat and, and left a message. One of our flaming ballers says, do you think we have the cap space to go after Giannis? And most important, do guys want Giannis and Phoenix? Okay, A, if you don't want Giannis in Phoenix, I don't know how far you fell out the window and hit your head, but you obviously did. Or you've been in the heat way too long. Yeah, uh, Everybody would want the arguably best player in the game in Phoenix. So that that is a, uh, that is a definite yes yeah. on that part of the question. Can the uh, Suns put the uh, money together? Sure, if they punt this entire offseason and really just go all young and, and one-year contracts, they could put together um, enough to sign him. Yes. That would, I just, I don't. <laughs> but you're talking about signing a ton sense. of guys and being basically, basically you're making this year extremely iffy on playoffs. If you want to um, uh, create the cap space that is available in the summer of 21. Look, if you're going to, if, if Giannis is leaving Milwaukee, the first step is he's going to get traded. They're not going to let, right. if there's any indication that he's gone, the, the bucks will not let him leave by yeah. just walking away. So, so if you're really interested in Giannis, I think the, the thought Durant. should be, yeah. I, I think the shot the thought should be, what could we trade if you're the Phoenix suns for an office to get uh, Giannis, uh, even on a one-year trial, like that, that's probably the mindset. If, uh, if you're thinking about it, I think that's even a pipe dream, but that's probably where you need to start because the bucks are not letting him are not letting him walk. And, the, and right. with what's going on with the bucks and Miami, uh, in, in the bubble right now, that timetable might be expedited. This may be the, the thing that pulls the, pulls the pin for Giannis wanting to leave Milwaukee. It seems, it seems crazy based on where they were just a few months ago, but, but this is the kind of thing and the kind of embarrassment that that's going on in that series that could lead a guy to go, look, I, I can't, this isn't going to happen in Milwaukee. I want out. Uh, and so, so that's where I'd start. I wouldn't be looking about how could you clear enough money 
to be a player in that free agency, I'd be thinking, what kind of assets are you legitimately willing to give up to try to pursue Giannis that would intrigue Milwaukee uh, if, if it comes to that? All right, what's our next question? Uh, I uh, let's move to some of the ones that you had from sure. Twitter here, and I'll. All right, I got them. a couple from Twitter. I've got a uh, breath of hope is a big Suns fan on Twitter. I don't know if he. I think he's got a bright side handle, but I can't remember what that is. But anyway, he left me four questions, so I'm going to do rapid fire. I love the interest. Thank you for the questions, but we are already over an hour on this show, and uh, I mean, I know you guys love it. But uh, we're we're going to keep talking as long as we have to, for sure. But I'm going to go a little rapid fire. His first question is, um, along with the with the salary cap, it's too uncertain to know exactly what it will be. But <clears throat> will the Suns be in a better position than most teams? Yes, regardless. Now, uh, assuming the cap, they're assuming that. Okay, look, let me put it this way: most teams have already committed 2021 salary to almost the cap level, the current cap level. So there's no way the cap suddenly drops to like 70 million. So (laughs) I expect the cap will stay even with what it is today at 109 million. If that's the case, the Suns will still have money to spend if they really want to clear, like I said earlier in the show, clear the decks of all but eight players. Um, They could get up to 20 million or so in cap space. Um, and they will be in the among the handful of play of teams with that much space or more. Could, okay. could you imagine if they did drop the cap to like seventy million? The chaos that would well would the ensue? owners <laughs> the owners wouldn't allow it. Now there is um, his. I'll jump to his third, second question: Is amnesty being considered? Ha <laughs> ha. That's interesting. There there were some articles written that amnesty amnesty should be considered. Um, uh, amnesty, if you guys remember, is any owner's ability to just cut a player uh, and not owe him his salary. And no, he they, can always sign with somebody else. They still owe him the salary. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The they still owe him the salary, but it doesn't count against the cap. And I think you can stretch it. Yes. Like the, there's still the wave and stretch. There's still the wave and stretch. Uh, but it does count against your cap. The amnesty, the only difference is wave and stretch where it doesn't. Um, but that's that was only that wasn't really to save owners money. That was to free up the ability to you know do something else with your roster and even spend more. Um, so I don't see the owners really doing that this off season unless it saves them money now if the amnesty means they don't have to pay that salary then uh you know we might be in business for yeah, the owner the, but then the players, the would, players never would never yeah the players the would players never union would freak out at the suggestion right. of that all right yeah. uh this next one's for you uh no no sorry the fourth one will be for you the next one is uh what are the odds starver will operate over the cap under the tax line like i said i think they might do the deal where they operate over the cap and then uh, spend some or all of their MLE. But I think that's going to be um, on a uh, value basis if players and, are taking lower than value contracts. And James Jones is going to have to do one hell of a job to sell why it's the right thing to do, which I don't yeah, think, so, I don't doubt that he could. I just, he's going to have to sell why it's the right vision for it to happen. Yeah. So I think, um, uh, uh, Breath of Hope, I kind of answered your question throughout the show, and I just recapped them quickly here. The fourth question, this is for you, Espo. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Would James Jones, if he signed Fred, so say the, the, the Suns decide to go ahead and sign Fred Van Vliet, all right? 
Yes. Would James Jones keep Ricky Rubio or trade Ricky Rubio? I think you, I think you keep him because then you have flexibility and and your second, your first and second unit, unless you got some deal that was just too good to to pass up. I think he definitely listened to offers for Ricky, but I don't think he'd feel he had to get rid of him because Rubio's deal is only a three-year deal. You're not committed long-term. I, I think you're in a better position to have two really good point guards than, uh, than one. I think we've learned that lesson and it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely better than zero, which is what they've had up until this season for a while. So I think they would be, I think it would have to be the right move to, to move Ricky, even if they signed Fred Van Vliet, because uh, they they offer different things to the team. All right. My last Twitter question is Mbappé for MVP. Um, on Twitter, he left a question, uh, should the Suns position themselves for 2021 and the honest sweepstakes? We kind of went into that a little bit. The should is yes. The probably will is no. Um, the Suns, are they would have to really position this team to be a mercenary team this next season to clear enough space to be able to sign Giannis next summer, basically um, rolling the dice and punting. And the Suns are done with that, I think. The Suns are more interested in making this year's playoffs than they are having enough space for Giannis in the summer next year. Look, you can't sacrifice an entire season, especially not after having done it in, in recent memory. This team has the opportunity to build on momentum from Orlando, uh, from what they did earlier in the season. Uh, mm-hmm. And you you just can't you can't take a step backwards when this was it was supposed to be that last step before you were trying to contend for a playoff spot. So you I feel like you almost have to be all in going into this season and say, look, we are going to give Devin Booker all the support we can get. We're going to put DeAndre Ayton in a position to succeed. We believe we can make the playoffs this year. If you're in any other mindset than that, it's a disservice to your fan base. It's a disservice to to these young guys like Devin Booker that have worked so hard. And it's a disservice to Monty Williams, who uh, looked at you and said, I want to come here and help build something over going to the Lakers. Uh, I think that's uh, that's giving him kind of the middle finger as well if you punt a full season. All, All right. right. Any other that, questions you've got? Are, no, I, good? Think, I think we are good, and I think that we went way over what I expected. We did. We're good at ranting. <laughs> I, I'm going to be in some big trouble with the misses, and it shows you what happens to us when we don't have our point guard, Tim Tompkins, who's uh, right. wandering the Florida – I don't know. Where do you go hiking in Florida? Do you just like the swamplands? Like, I don't yeah, know. it must be. It must yeah. be down into swamps instead yeah, of up well, a mountain. It's well, got to be. Yeah. We don't know if he'll be back because he may have encountered an alligator or a crocodile or whatever the hell's in <laughs> Anaconda. Florida. Yeah. Uh, you know, or, uh, you know, I'm not even going to go anywhere else where I could go with <laughs> Florida stereotypes. So for Dave King, Florida man I, hikes and never yeah. comes back. Yeah, <laughs> Florida man, alligator dinner. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, Ford, for Tim Tompkins, we guess, and Dave King, I'm Greg Esposito. Thanks for joining us here on the Sun Solar Panel, and we'll talk to you next time.